Welcome for tuning in to a Ska Dads podcast. This is a special episode. Uh, my name is Bobby Bobson, and I'm joined by a whole slew of people. We're going to let everyone introduce themselves uh, on the line. So why don't you start, Mike? Uh, hey, I'm Mike. I'm uh, in the band Calling Dead with Scott, and we both uh, we have the label DCPC Live, which is uh, why we're doing this podcast with you guys. Go ahead, Scott. All right, so I'm obviously the other half of uh, DCPC Live. I'm also a native of the D.C. area, and uh, I've known uh, Bobby and David for a long time, and I've seen these other gentlemen before, but I don't think we are uh, close. Um, <laughs> we are not of close connection as sorts, but uh, but Bobby and Dave, and obviously I guess I know Mike still. Yeah. And uh, let me introduce my uh, co-host uh, who's joining us, Ryan. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, this is Ryan, local ska dad, local scumbag. <laughs> Quality. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and then and then we have two members of the topic we're talking about today, the Ratchet Boys with us. Um, well, myself included, I guess. But um, we have Jason. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, I'm Jason Ledney. I uh, was one of the founding members of the band. Uh, Dan and I, Alex, you name it, we were there. Uh, so I played tenor sax for years so, with the group. So Cool. And cool. Uh, Dave? Yeah, so my name is Dave, Dave Elliott. I... Uh, Joined the Ratchet Boys. I played percussion and, and bass for a little while, and uh, yeah, and I'm excited to. I'm really stoked to talk about the band and, and to reminisce about Dan, and, and I'm looking forward to this album for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I guess I guess the best way to kind of talk about this, uh, Scott. I'll, I'm kind of going to let Scott take over, and you can talk about you know how this all came together well you know for the last uh, year and a half or so mike and i have been putting out live albums and we started off doing local orlando bands but being from the dc area i've kind of reached out to other bands from two-man advantage and up in new york and the goons and i'm just kind of like what else could i do what other cool stuff is out there and um you know i'm just kind of going through bands and i remembered that the ratchet boys had done some live stuff and i found it on Bandcamp. And we were actually in the studio or going to the studio to record or for a live stream we were doing. And I called Bobby on the phone and we had a whole talk about what we could do about releasing it on vinyl. And then even better, making it as a benefit for cancer research since Dan had passed from Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was like, this is a great way to honor an old friend and to put out an album by a band that I always enjoyed watching and I thought was a real important part of the uh, the DC ska scene. So um, I'm really excited to be part of this project and see where it goes. So yeah, I'm super stoked on this. Awesome. Yeah, and we're super psyched to be able to do this with, with Mike and Scott and uh, super stoked about getting the album in our hands in a couple weeks. That's going to be really exciting. Um, so I guess, I, I don't know, I, I think too, I, I think it kind of starts with like history. So Jason, being a founding member, I don't know, do you want to maybe start a little bit how you linked up with uh, Dan and Alex in the Skyper yeah. stores, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I Dan and I lived in the same neighborhood. He literally was the neighborhood bully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey now. He, he was. I, I'm not going to lie about it, but you know. It, it, it's. I was the newer kid in the neighborhood. Dan lived in the neighborhood since it, you know, since it was built, and you know, and you know, he went to a different high school than I, and he had his own circle of friends, and I had my own circle of friends. And then one day, like I, I was riding my bike past his house, and I heard some music, and it wasn't ska, but it was like, oh, he's playing bass. That's cool. Well, I like music. I'm in high school band, you know. So we just started talking, and then. Uh, one of my good friends, Brandon, who was also one of the original trombone players in the band, had a bass amp, and he sold it to Dan. And then Alex was in uh, when Brandon were in the same grade. So I was like, oh, we got a bass player. Uh, we got a guitarist. I, at that point, played some drums, and that you know we started jamming. Nothing really happened out of it. And then all of a sudden, Alex one day... Uh, I forget what album it was, but it was something with horns in it. And from that moment, it's like, yeah, we're going to be a ska band. And Dan Dan had a particular taste for trying to be as offensive as possibly can. <laughs> uh, and he was like, oh, we're going to call the band Hung Like Bears or Running With Scissors or something like that. And I was like, well, uh, trying to be a little bit more level-headed. It was like, how about... We 
how about something else? You know, and, you know, back, you know, this is the early 90s, so every every band either was something with Ska in the name, you know? So I think we went to Phantasmagoria and saw Scofflaws or something like that. And then um, it was either Erica or Erica. One of the Ericas said, how about Skankersource? And it's like, yes! Okay, so that was the name. And so then Alex drew up some artwork, and I think if I dig around in my junk drawer here, I mean, I have... There's the original demo tape that we paid for, <laughs> recorded on a multi-track <laughs> recorder in the basement. Uh, there's an old picture of the band at Phantaz. Um, band's butt. <laughs> yeah, that was the first. That was the first uh, Ratchet Boys album, right? Bend over yeah. and say ska. Right? Bend over and say ska. Yeah, that that was Dan being offensive in my parents' driveway, mooning you know, mooning someone with a digital camera. Uh, not even a digital camera. I think that was a film camera. So we actually paid to have that picture developed. Lovely. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and, you know, from that, it was like 1996, 97, then HF, WHFS and their morning show had like worst band names, worst ska band names, worst local band names. And so they made fun of us for like a month straight with our horrible Skankersaurus name. And, <laughs> I, but I mean, from that point forward, yeah, we weren't good yet. I mean, we were bad still. Like you know, mo- <laughs> most of us were in high school. Dan and I were like college freshmen, and and so we were. I mean, it was bad. It sounded like a marching band with a concussion section, not even a percussion section. But um, I, I remember seeing the Skankersaurs um, at a show. You guys opened up for uh, the Scatolites. At yeah, College at Park. University of Maryland. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember that show, I, and, and I got some cool and, stories about that place. Too. Yeah, I was just and, to and think, I just, you? I just, I just remember your horn section though. You had six I, of us. I, I believe it was six oh, of you guys, yeah. and the one guy broke a leg. <laughs> yeah. So he was playing like trombone or trumpet with a broken leg, yeah. like sitting down, right? Yeah, that, that was, was Danny Burton because he got hit by a car that day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was trying. You know, to, was it you guys or Scottlicious? I saw with the pie taste. Was it a community center in Burke? Uh, that was probably us, uh, uh, both, maybe, you know, because I know both. we did. Was that, Scott, was that the, uh, with King Chango from Venezuela? Uh, it could be. If I could remember that, I could also remember which one, which one Scott-oriented band it was with Scott in the name. <laughs> well, it could, I mean, was it like the firehouse down there? I felt like it was a community center, but I mean, no, God, it, I, was, I, it, it, it was the 90s, so I, I think you're thinking. Of, I think we're thinking of the same show. It was King Chango, uh, Tinkle, I want to say. Um, pie tasters. Yes, I think it was delicious. Yes. I think it was delicious, and maybe the instigators. It was a bunch of those two head bands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that was you know it was always that DC and Montgomery County, Baltimore versus two happened Northern Virginia for the longest time. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely like a parallel sort of thing going on. Yeah, and, so, and you know, so when when did when did the Skanker Swords like when did that band? So so you guys are getting made fun of the name, but when when did the Skanker Swords change into the Ratchet Boys? So that, at that point, we had lost a lot of the original members. So really, it was just Dan, Alex, and I at that point left, being the founding members. Uh, Big, Eric, Big Eric was still around, but he was in college and working, and Jake had moved. Um, you know, our original drummer, Eric, had moved. Ian had moved. So everybody had moved, and Dan's like, we need to change their name. I was like, I didn't want to change the name, but I'm like, whatever. I'm you know, I'm just going to go with the flow here. You can't so, stop Dan. He has an indomitable will. No, I mean, and if you tried to stop Dan, it was it was a fight. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fight. I like the name, but you know what? I'm, I'm okay changing the name. You know, I'm, I, I still have my AOL handle, S-Source T-Sacks. You know, I haven't gotten rid of that ever, so it's, you know. But it's, it, it, so Jan was like, well, you know, a Jamaican slang term for a switchblade knife is a ratchet. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool, you know. So he changed it, we changed it to Ratchet Boys, and that was it. And then, you know, we weren't throwing donuts yet, you know. We were just, you know, getting into our own thing, and we played a lot of those megathons at Phantasmagoria and started, you know, a lot of us were out of high school at that point. And, and so then all of a sudden, one show, it probably was Phantasm or the Corner Kick, you know, Dan, Dan, Dan liked to eat food. I mean, I got plenty of pictures with Dan with a box of cereal in his hand and a bowl on his head, you know. Like that. <laughs> but that was Dan, you know. Um, and, and 
it, 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 so it's just like, so he bought a box of donuts, and I don't know if he knew what to do with them. So, you know, Dan was always like, up for a shtick. So he started throwing donuts. And, like, all of a sudden, we were known as the donut-throwing band. Like, okay, so, you know, on, t on top of being almost arrested several dozen times outside of Tower Records for handing out flyers, all of Alex's infamous artwork, um, you know, <laughs> and being accused of solicitation of for you know with this, the band Skankersaur's name. So you know it, it. You know, then we got this reputation for throwing donuts. You know, and it's I, it's like at that point, I still don't think we were all that very good. We were entertaining, and then slowly we got a little better and a little better and a little better. You know, uh, you know they they say it takes ten thousand hours to you know to uh, refine your craft. I'm never sure ever sure we got the ten thousand hours, but we had a lot of fun doing it. So so. Just to interrupt you real quick, like I've been re-listening to the tracks and like in the tracks that's coming on the album, he talks about tossing out donuts and his Krispy Kremes and it's fabulous. And then it occurred to me, there's this old um, Avail Live album where he's playing out in California, but there's some people from like the Lake Ann Reston, Virginia area. And he's like, yeah, you didn't like the donuts. And I'm like, is he criticizing the Ratchet Boys there for throwing donuts? I'm sure he's not. <laughs> but like, that's my first thought when I heard it. I was like, how dare he be offended? Everybody likes the donuts. I mean, the, the stupid part is, it, it would Dan would throw a donut, and these are usually glazed donuts. I mean, yes. we're not talking, we're not talking cake donuts here. Yeah. So yeah, sticky, they were, they ooey, were crispy creams. Yeah. Usually, uh, I mean, a couple times they were um, Dunkin' Donuts. I think once or twice they were Montgomery Donuts, but Krispy Kreme was, you know, the fresh, hot thing. And so, literally, these high school kids, he would throw these donuts. It would hit the club floor, and they would fight to eat it off the floor. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with a saxophone mouthpiece in my mouth going, ew. <laughs> so, it, was, it was something else, you know, but yeah, it was the 90s. What can you say? <laughs> it was great. So so I was wondering too, Dave, um, yeah. how, did, how did you get together with everyone? Do you, do you, rem do you recall what year you kind of started playing and when you? I, I, re I remember the story. So, Dave, if you yeah, don't yeah. remember, I well, well I'm, yeah. So, so, so I'm gonna I'll push back a little bit on the Skankasaurus not being very good, right? Because the way I got in was, you know, I, you know, became aware, like, oh, there's punk rock, there's ska, like, what's going on that I can see, you know? And it's a little before I was able to go to DC and, and be part of that scene. So there's these shows happening at the Corner Kick in Gaithersburg, right? And uh you know, they were Dan's shows and, and, you know, they morphed into the Rooted DC thing that happened a few years later, but that was the Skanker Swords, you know, that was their home base, right? And I saw, you know, them on the field even when they were playing down low on the field before they moved into a restaurant and, like, that shit hooked me, man. Like, those are, they were great, right? I mean, maybe, you know, and I loved them and I was like, this is just as legitimate as, like, you know, it's going to sound stupid. Like, it's just, just as legitimate as, like, I buy a specials album. It sounds great. I listen to the Skanker stories on Saturday night. It sounds great, right? So that drew me in. I was just attracted to them as being like, this is a good band that I can see and, and talk to. Um, and then, you know, going to enough shows, you become friends with them. And uh, at some point, I went off to college in Pennsylvania. And there was some turmoil i came back or not turmoil but like i came back and like as the band was changing and people were leaving i was like invited to try out to play bass um and there was like a little weird transition period where like matt was playing bass and i was playing bass and then it kind of like worked itself out that i was playing percussion and this is where it's kind of gray area for me so jason if you want to jump in and say you know, <laughs> jump in and like give the uh, the play-by-play because I honestly like it's it, the timeline is fuzzy for me. I know I must have ended on percussion because Bob, you know, you came in and took my place as percussion. But yeah. so I, it, a lot of it was, you know, so my parents, you know, God bless them for what they did. They put up with our shenanigans for years, for all, every Sunday from six to eight p.m. and then eight p.m. to nine p.m. to watch whatever Simpsons episode or whatever was on. So yeah, my my parents are, you know, we're, we're still young. My parents are getting little. Fed up with all the noise in the basement, so to speak. And Matt was Matt. You know, I love Matt, and I miss Matt, and I wish he was here right now to talk about it. You know, but uh, yeah, he he was. I'm, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. And then Alex wanted to move to California, and oh, so yes. LA Alex. Yes, Alex's last show before he moves to California with his you know hands in his pocket, and his head down. You know, Talk and that last records moving away. Exactly, that lasted all two weeks. You know, and uh, so, you know, with that little turmoil, you know, Dave was brought in. I think, Dave, we practiced at your 
folks' house for like a couple weeks or something like that. And oh then, yeah. So and then uh, it went back to my house till I left the band. So. But I was going to say, like, I mean, I have. I don't know if the if the Give Him the Kick CDR is one side of the of the LP or not, but I have that, which is a, a live show at uh, at the Corner Kick. And it's got like Farragut North on it. That song yep. rocks. It's got Montoya. Montoya is a legitimately great song, you know. And I don't know. That I don't would know be the first if, single, uh, actually. I don't know if Bob Thorpe is going to be talking to you <laughs> later or tomorrow. But I remember, I remember, you know, Robert when he Thorpe. joined. I remember when he joined. You know, he was he gave a good like, you know, rally the troops speech. Like, hey, you know, like I moved to town and like. There's a lot of bands he was, that, like, wait a you know, second, wait a second. So he was, you know, he was in there. Invited me, and I was... wanted to play with the Ratchet Boys because you guys have, you guys had the the goods, man. You guys have the songs, and you guys have the the sort of like gravitas, right? To like, I mean, I mean, you could see, and a lot of that's Dan and 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 his stage presence, but you could see that there was like a better band in the Ratchet Boys uh, at that time than than more potential than a lot of, I think, you know other bands that might have been more playing by numbers yeah dave hold on for a second Can, you, I, I did forget that bob thorpe was he was the trumpet player that was very uh flamboyant yeah and, 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 and he, yeah him, him and dan did not get along oh my god <laughs> no. they, they did not they, that was like fire and I gasoline yeah. I just why I just remember uh, the funny a funny just a quick Bob Thorpe thing was he joined another band from the era called the Players and I just remember he was soloing and like he was such a hot shot he was like I'm the best trumpet player in the world whatever and he started throwing out money from his wallet as he was soloing and all the kids were going nuts yeah, I he was that. throwing like twenty dollar <laughs> bills out was like, what the fuck is this guy doing <laughs> but anyway but but anyway Dave. One of my favorite memories too of, of you in in the Ratchet Boys was when you guys played Phantas, and you and Dan had like some <laughs> this sketch you guys planned out. I know, I know exactly what's going, what you're bringing <laughs> oh up. My yeah. Gosh. You want to expand on? So, do you want me to, to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we were, we had the show booked at Phantas, and we were going through a phase where we were trying to like like. Let's try and wear. Let's try and do the suits. Let's have a nice website, and let's try and like push some of the, you know, some of the more like, you know, I don't know, legit, right? Like aspects of being a band, right? Like let's let's make a push and see if we can see if we can get get this, you know, going up with a little more gusto, right? And but we are not gonna change. You know, it's impossible to be different than who you are, which is sort of like a slapsticky goofball, you know, group of kids, right? So uh, at the time we had. Um, a keyboard player. I mean, there was various times where people were. I think Jason, you played keyboards on some songs for a while. By the time we had uh, a keyboard player named Sasha playing with us, kind of like full-time keyboards, and she liked to play the entertainer as like kind of a warm-up thing, right? And so I, I, it was probably Dan's idea, but it was someone's idea to like we should do like a mock, like sort of Charlie Chaplin style, like fake, you know, uh, saloon punch-out kind of gunfight, you know, in the middle of a as as, yep. a, as part of a solo break in one song, right? So we do it, this. and it was it was not well rehearsed, and it was sort of sloppy on stage. But then, you know, let's remember also this is the this is like peak web forum era of, of the internet, right? And so there was a DC Scott forum. I don't know if it was the, the DC Scott.com forum that Michelle ended up running, but it was it was a web forum that had a had, had a page for people talking about DC Scott, and and it we had done it either the same day or the day after there had been a. Uh, a school field trip to the National Zoo, and there was a and, and some kids got shot, like as part of some school field trip teenager beefing, and which was you know, big news and sort of all over the, the post and the local papers. And it was this you know very dour moment, and and we got kind of called out on the forum for you know having you know sort of like being very nonchalant with like gunplay and, bad taste, and, and yes. violence, yeah, and bad taste. And it was like, <laughs> I mean. There was a mix of like, oh geez, like you kind of roll your eyes, like you can't do anything. But there's also like, I mean, I, I know I was like sort of like, oh boy, like yeah, that's, I had, I totally see where the, you know this person's coming from, and like we, you know, you got to be a little yeah, bit more responsible and a little kind of know your audience or, or know know what you're doing as as someone who's up there as a performer, right? But, yeah, yeah, but it was it was definitely more vaudeville okay, than uh, than anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair, like you gotta like. When things are dark, humor is generally to be one of the best ways to deal with it. So maybe it, it wasn't is. the humor that they wanted, but like 
the worse things get, I, the more I tend to choke. So dark humor is literally how we resolve the things yeah, that we I can't mean, like express without crying. I can imagine a person though, like if a person's really affected by, I mean, and they're, they're totally disconnected events, right? Like I'm not even sure if everyone in the band like was, you know, up on like what the news of the day was at the time, right? It was just like poor, poor coincidence. But I can imagine if someone's like really affected by this thing that happens one day to have like someone, you know, with a with a very unserious take on some of the same behavior, like at this space where they're supposed to be going to like get their rocks off and kind of enjoy their time and, and not have to deal with real world bullshit. Like it, it can be even even if it seems like a minor affront from from our perspective, it could it could definitely come down on somebody in a way that is like the straw that breaks their back or something. But, you know, it can it can come down on them in a way that's like I don't have bandwidth to deal with this right now, and I need to let them know because like people people need to you know put thought into what they're presenting. And that's why but you're a beautiful. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like we were like super stoked to do it, and like just like that. <laughs> And, and Dave, you're totally right. You know, you know, at that point in our lives, what we were 18, 19, 20, 21, depending on who you were in the band and things like that. And you know, because we were the popular group at that point, at least for the local scene, and we had our our responsibility of setting up our own shows and, and booking other bands. You know, sometimes people forgot we were young adults and didn't always think things through so to speak you know and it it, it it but you know what i regret nothing so you know it it, it they're all great moments and you know it, it's, it's just one of those things you have to look at it and go yeah that was some bad taste back then but i mean come on the, the original band name was skanker source right like, exactly. what, what do you what do you expect and that's actually this? jason that's that's a good segue into talking about one of the other songs on the album is like the song called blue balls which probably could not be written today um but um, you want to talk a little bit about it? Because I, I know Alex Alex is not going to want to talk about it. He's already told me. He's like, I wrote this song in my when I was like 18 or 19, and it represents, you know, that that period of his, of, of his life. But why, why don't yeah, you talk about it? And, yeah, so a lot, of the, the, uh, a lot of the songs, you know, like Satan Express, uh, 12 Items or Less, that was about Dan and Matt's time at working at the giant grocery store and how they always had to stock things and... You know, dress a certain way and act a certain way in corporate culture, you know, being 18, 19 and things like that. And at that point, you know, that, you know, little, my memory doesn't serve me 100%. That could have been Alex, you know, with his shyness, you know, you know lashing out because uh, Alex, you know, God love Alex. And, you know, Alex has grown up to be a fantastic artist. And, but back then, I mean, we we're all a little bit socially awkward, you know. Come on, we played ska music, you know. Even then, that was counterculture. So, uh, you know, the, at the end of the day, you know, it was about his frustrations with girls, and and I think Dan just jumped right on board with that one. And and, and there's even a song, I think it was the girl with yellow eyes or something like that. That you know, Dan, you know, like Alex, you gotta write a song for this girl that I like, you know. And this this all goes back to hanging out at the Diner Express at the Bowl America off of. Clopper Road for as many years as we did. So, yeah, I mean, I think that just speaks to like you know being early adults, like you said, or late teens. I mean, it's 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 almost kind of like if you go back to listen to old Descendant songs and you go, oh, you know what, that that one didn't necessarily age as well. But like when you were kids, like I was in a band called the Slaves of Society in the '90s, and I go back and look into those lyrics and I'm like, eh, eh. I don't quite say toxic masculinity and um, misogyny, but at the same time, I do say. God, what an asshole I was in some ways. Like, it just wasn't who I was. And I'm like, and that's why, I like, when bands continue, like, for many, many years and they started in high school, I can wonder how they keep playing the same songs. I'm like, I wouldn't yeah. want to play the same songs I wrote when I was 16 <laughs> or 17. Like, I know I talked to Serge from the Goons about that on more than one occasion. He's like, yeah, there's a fair number of songs we just couldn't do anymore because it no longer represented who we were in our, like, 30s and low 40s that I wrote when I was in 16 years old. <laughs> and that's why yeah, that's why music changes too. Uh, I and actually let, Ryan, I, I I'm sorry we didn't we've been hogging the mic a little bit, but Ryan was definitely a fan of of the Ratchet Boys and probably you got you saw you saw us a few times, right, Ryan? Any questions? Or? Yeah, I, I just remember um, I remember getting my license when I was 16. 
And I was like, I could finally go to like a DC Scott show. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just remember like walking to Fantas and uh, just, you know, like before you used to walk in there, there was like a pizza place next door. And so we go get like, get, like a slice of pizza. Then you could just hear like the horns from the room from uh, Fantas. And, uh, you know, it's just a very exciting time. Then you go inside and, you know, there was a nice scene at that time. There was tons of kids. And, yeah, I just, I just remember just having, like, very fond memories of watching, like, the Ratchet Boys, the Identified, uh, even... I don't think I've ever seen the, uh, the Skanker Source. I think I was too young at that time. But, uh... That was probably, like, pre-98, Yeah. And then the Corner Kick shows. Those were just awesome. And, uh... Yeah. I just I would see the Ratchet Boys all the time because I had a twelve o'clock curfew, and so I would go see like you know it'd be like the Slacker show. Yeah. So Metro, I would Metro enforced, right? <laughs> yeah. So I would drive all the way out there, catch the Ratchet Boys, and maybe catch like a oh, a song or two of the Slackers, and then just make it back to Baltimore. And I used to be able to do it like in like forty minutes, <laughs> just drive like a hundred miles per hour. Yeah, I, I, I think one of Dan's favorite things ever, you know, one of his sayings was, we're the band that drives you home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, I can remember many a time at a Fantas show or even a quarter kick show, you know, I had my parents' station wagon, and uh, it, this was before Dan had his bug, so I think he was driving his Escort or something like that. And literally, you know, I had all the band gear in my the, in the station wagon, and I had like eight other people in the back seat, and Dan had like six people in his you know two door escort, and yeah, we were we drove everybody home almost every show, and this is not even the bandmates; these are like just random people that want, hung out, and talked to us at the show. So you know, it's like, where do you live? College Park. Mm, wrong way. Okay, let's go. So, <laughs> I, well, I, I think too. I think one of the cool things about like the whole corner kick thing, like everybody was involved in it and like you know like that whole connection of like the diy like punk community and punk scene was definitely echoed in the way those shows were set up because people from the band were working the door um jason I, you were probably doing sound yep. or something yep. um and um at the end of the night everyone was cleaning up the stage we they bought a stage at one point that we had to have yeah, Take that was that was after our milk. That was after the milk crate stage was stolen. I was gonna say, I was like, I was like, I thought they built a stage first, and then like that, yeah. you know, ran its course. And they're like, well, you should buy one now. <laughs> yeah, but like and that's, that's, that's that stage like total, is like, oh, go ahead. That stage is still. At, it's at Victor Lutz Music still. They can't get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to grab it the next time. So buy it. It's like a collector's item, right? Like yeah, someone, that could I go mean, for eBay. We could put it on. Yeah, eBay. the sentimental it's value's okay. through the roof, but the actual value is like, what is it? It's a stage. I have to hold that thing. Uh. <laughs> it probably still has a crushed donut somewhere. Like I, I wouldn't, I stage. wouldn't doubt it. You know, and and here's the funny thing about like all those corner kick shows. You know, we we would put ourselves on the middle or last, depending on the other bands that were playing. You know, we got the sweet. We were super psyched the first time we got the Slackers to play there. You know, like, oh my gosh, we got a national touring act to come through. And I remember having to run out and buy a bucket of chicken and a bottle of Jack and $500 <laughs> to pay them their first time. Like, yeah. like that seemed enormously cheap. And we were like, okay, we're all like, you know, unemployed kids at this point. Like, how the hell are we going to afford $500 if no one shows up? Well... If you build it, hey, they will my come. Takeaway, my takeaway from this story is $500 is a steal to, to, to get the slackers booked at your <laughs> venue, man. Well, like, I mean, that's so, I, mean I know it's $19.99, but come on. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, you think about some of the other bands that rolled through and played the corner kick, you know, what turned into OAR actually played at the corner kick. Like, that, come that, on. Like, and, and that's the thing, right? Like, I, I've been to the corner kick. I'd watched the Ratchet Boys, and I'd seen the Skankersaurus, and just... You guys... Was, hold on, but Scott. You guys played there. Overprivileged played yeah, there. Yeah, Overprivileged played there. My wife's band died. I'm sure she played there. And But Dan was an inspiration. Like, everything down to, like, trying to bring bands in. I still do that today as, like, a 46-year-old band. But I yeah. was like, oh, if Dan can do this, I could probably pull this off. Watching Dan give people's rides home. I have a, a, a hurdle of high school kids that I remember we were playing a Royal Lee show and they were all leaving for the overprivileged place. I was like, why are you leaving? Oh, our curfew. I was like, fuck that. I'll get you rides home. 
and I literally met with their moms, and I had permission to drive them home, a cadre of girls, they probably think I'm a groomer nowadays, but I was like, no, I was like, I'm just trying to get teenagers to be able to go to shows, it's an all-ages venue, let them yeah. hang out till one o'clock, I will give them right home, we pile them into the overprivileged limo, but that was Dan-inspired, like, if Dan can do this, I can do this. Yeah, I, and I think a lot of the things with Dan, you know, it, it was just, it, it was, some of it was just his genuine personality, and some of it was just shrewd business. Like, he knew that, you know, hey, if I do a favor for you, I'm going to call it in and ask for a favor, you know, and and that's how we got many a show, you know. It, it, it wasn't that people were calling us, per se, at, at first, it was... Dan on the phone, Alex on the phone, me on the phone. Hey, we want a show. Can we play? 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 And eventually just, you know, someone would say, if, if, if I say yes, will you shut up and go away? <laughs> well, we did go away. You know, you know, we, we, we're definitely that infectious, you know, band at that point. And, you know, and then we grew up a little bit and, you know, the name changed to the Ratchet Boys. And, and so then we, you know, especially with the corner kick and Michelle and DC, after Michelle took over DC Scott, you know, we ran the scene for a short period of time. You know, be- you know before you know a lot. You know, dance passing and things like that. So, yeah, and, and I don't know. There are people that still contact me from that from that scene that saw the Ratchet Boys. That um, you, you know, the whole the way Scott even discovered this album was through like this guy who's living in Boston that used to play in the Scott Punk band in Towson called Lookout Below. And they and he started putting on a label. He put out old demos by the Smith Oaks, and he asked to put our album up. And he did a compilation too of all these old like DC ska, DC punk bands. Um, so I don't know. There are people out there that are still interested in this, and a lot of a lot of the people in the scene, like people like um, you know, like people like Spoonboy. He got his name from from Dan. Like like uh, that was my know, spoon. Dan gave him my spoon. <laughs> and, and he still goes by that name. Like, he, he played my old school. I used to teach that as Spoon Boy, which, by the way, got me in trouble because some kids bought Spoon Boy, and the owner of the school, which was like a, more, a secular school owned by Mormons, she looked it up, and she's like, you had some band with a song called Knife Up My Dad's Ass play the school? And I was like, yeah, they didn't play that song, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if they did, you couldn't understand the lyrics, so it didn't matter. Yeah. You know... <laughs> And I remember Dan giving, you know, so Dan, you know, b- this is before the donuts. Dan threw those spoons because he, he did a spoon solo because Dan, Dan didn't play a musical instrument. He just was a front man. I'm not even call him a singer at that point. You know, he was a front man. So he did a spoon solo or something like that. He threw the spoons in the crowd. And they was, those were silver spoons. They were cheap spoons. So, <laughs> so but, but, but like you say, he was a front man. And I just got done watching the 99 Woodstock thing and watching how like people controlled the crowd during the riots for negative yeah. shit but Dan did it for positive like I'm listening oh, yeah. to these tracks and you can just hear Dan talking like hearing him talk in between the songs or just going on some sort of like monologue during the song that's not related to the lyrics is almost more powerful than him actually singing the damn lyrics like Dan controlled the room like he was a presence yeah it, it, it was funny because it, it that was just natural Dan it, it, him being uh, I'm not going to say socially awkward but stage fright almost it was a nervous habit at first and then it just became the norm for him you know the funny thing is you know growing up you know down the street from dan dan didn't talk a lot dan didn't say much you know it's like you saw dan he you know and he was charging at you you had a black eye and that was his this that was his way of communicating with people originally and you know same thing for me except for I, i wasn't throwing punches i was the one dodging the punches from dan but I was the quiet kid. I was the band geek. Alex was the band geek. You know, we were we we're just a bunch of band geeks. You know, and turned into what it turned into. I think too, it's it's a good testament of like the DC ska scene. Uh, this album, and it's it's you know it. it I think it's limitations uh, audio wise. Um, it's made up for by like the passion you hear in the music because because like these files if if this was recorded nowadays you know a lot of the interests would probably be multi-tracked 
These these are probably recorded off of a video. I think the majority. Yeah, of this these this was Michelle's video. Uh, her 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 digital video cassette recorder that she set on the merch table, 15, 20 feet in front of the stage. The fact that they turned out as good as they did was incredible. You know, it's a testament to, you know, a little bit of uh, you know blue collar ingenuity and and you know just us being us at that point. You know, and yeah, the I fact mean- that. Considering this is like a single track versus multi-track, it's about as good as it could possibly be. But it it captures that energy. Like I get it. It's it's not like the stuff that people do nowadays, or even the stuff that most of the stuff Mike and I release, where we multi-track all the different instruments, even have multiple tracks on like the different drum t- toms and a and a mic out in the audience. But it catches the audience. It catches the energy. Whatever it misses, if it misses a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it catches why those shows were so much fucking fun. So I have pretty much every live show we ever did at Fantas on cassette someplace in my in my music room at my house. So I've been, you know, since you, you know, I was re- someone reached out to, I think Bobby originally reached out to me about this or I'm not I don't even remember who. It's been so long. Uh you know, I just I've been going through all the old cassettes and just listening to the Fantas shows and whatever, you know, whatever I get my hands on. There's a couple other gigs out there that you know, we paid a lot of money to. Oh, they they, they record the CD here. I was like, oh, that was bad. But you know, but <laughs> so. I actually wanted to ask you guys about that. How did you like? Because back in the '90s and stuff, like when I was playing in bands and shows, like if you got something recorded, you were lucky somebody had like happened to have a cassette player or uh, you know, an old camcorder with them or something. Um, you know, how did you guys get these recorded back then? Did you actually have stuff sent to the board or? So this demo cassette, the original cassette, that has. Dan's old cell phone, my old cell phone, Alex Anonymous, you know, right there on the back. Uh, This cassette was recorded in my parents' basement uh, from a couple of our, it was Javier and uh, I can't, I don't remember the other guy's name, but they, they were in like a Nirvana cover band. Uh, The band name was Sienna. Um, And they, uh, they had a eight track recorder and a four track recorder. And so they did their own demo on their own Tascam cassette recorder. And I think we paid them a hundred bucks to come record us. And we saved every cent we had. And I think we spent $400 making 200 of these. Now I, I, the fact that I still have this in my hand is kind of crazy. And if I go to my upstairs closet, I do think I have a brand new skanker store shirt never worn. So, you know, that, you know, piece of personal treasures here, but, you know, it's, and that was that. And so the Fantas stuff was straight off the board. The sound guys there always took care of us. You know, we, we played there one time and I just, you know, happened to have a blank cassette in my car and he goes, yeah, if we've got a blank cassette, I'll record it for you. I was like, oh, so every time we played Fantas, they, uh, that we got a cassette now. Th- this lovely piece um, was recorded at um, a friend's basement. He he was he he was opening his own studio. He had an ADAC recorder, and he went. To, he was going digital, and it was a tiny little basement. Uh, Eric, you know, I, I'm six two. Eric six four, and Eric probably had a fi- good fifty pounds on me at that point. And the, 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 it was a basement of a Victorian house. So oh, you know, a- a- anybody over five foot tall in the basement would club their head in the door jams. So Carl was playing keys on that, and you know Stephen Woodring on trumpet, Jake on trumpet, Jason Fox. I don't think is on that one. So yeah, Jason Fox, myself, Eric on trombone, uh, Alex on guitar, Matt on bass, uh, uh, Jeff Mikoseski um, on drums, and I think it was Jeff's buddy was the guy who owned the studio at that point. And that was like our first multi-track recording session. Uh, ever um, and pretty much everything after that, like all the the fan, uh, every corner kick show that was Michelle's t- uh, her her recorder. You know, I, I, officially I don't think we you know at the time I was in the band and Dave you might know better. We never really went into the studio. No, I never know? did with the not with the Ratchet Boys. Yeah, yeah, I never did. So we, we we were we, we were busy playing shows. You know, yeah, I think after- so many shows. <laughs> And this and this CD was kind of like a, I, th- this live CD was an important part of that because I think it, it really captured the energy that the Ratchet Boys had live, and I think we were 
nonstop playing after the CD was out. It was it was created from old flyers. The original cover yeah. was the Ratchet Boys design, and all the all the corner kick flyers. And it was put together to kind of launch like Rude DC DC Scott thing. It was put out in accordance with Michelle's thing that she was doing in DC Scott. And it was it was for promo. And I I think from this show from that recording it helped us get those gigs we had at the 930 Club opening up for the Pie Tasters and a lot of other stuff that I started booking uh, them with in Baltimore and just a lot of clubs 8x10 just a lot a lot of this CD kind of was the gateway to, to playing like all over the place yeah I mean these songs are great like I can go back and I can I have the uh, the old DC scene compilation where you guys had Farragut North on there pretty sure that, that you know and I can listen to that and listen to the live version and even though there's some cleaner aspects and I might hear the, uh, the drums a little better or whatnot on the studio one, the energy, Dan's personality just comes through so much more on the live version. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, and like listening to this album and listening to this versus that live stuff, the Fantas stuff, the, the stuff that's coming out on this uh uh, on this vinyl, it, it's this is this is canned, you know, and you can tell it, it's, you know, it, it there's it, it loses a lot of heart and soul, you know, and and it's, you know, the the things that made the band great were the personalities behind it, you know, that that's what made us funny, that's what made us entertaining, you know, and to a certain extent, really made up for our. Are, are some of our inadequacies as far as quality of music sometimes, you know, especially when we're early on. Um, and, you know, and a lot of this stuff, like Alex's flyers and Alex's songs, it, it was an evolution. And it was like, as Alex got better at writing songs, Dan got better at singing, I, you know, we all got better at playing our instruments. So the band was, it was a natural progression because... You know, and, and then other people would come in, like Dave and Bobby and and, and other, you know, the cast of characters that was in the band, and, and, and it was the evolution, you know, in, you but know because I think you, know. you discount how much talent you guys already had from the beginning. Like, it's not like you're playing in a three chord punk rock band just blasting <laughs> out thirty second yeah. songs. I've done that. I know how easy that is, right? You're literally playing in a fucking ska band with anywhere between like five to fifteen people. And making it all mix and match and sound well. It's not the same thing. It's like it, 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 it's just it's just not. It's like I'm Star Trek yeah. first series and you're next generation. And well, one of the things, of, one of the things, Scott, too, about a ska band is you, you have to have that flexibility because there, there are going to be shows. There were shows we played probably with like one horn player, and there were also shows you end up playing with six horn players. It's just yep. being flexible and never knowing what to expect. Like. I think at the 930 Club show, when we finally got a gig at the 930 Club, which is a big freaking deal, we literally had probably eight horn players at that yeah. show. Every horn player that ever played in the Ra- in, in the Ratchet Boys and Skagersaurus wanted to be a part of that gig, and you just kind of make it work, you know. Yeah, and- I remember. I remember getting ready for a show. I can't remember what the what the show was, but we knew we needed more time, like more material than we had, and someone was just like, "Well." I guess all the solos are twice as long this weekend, and that was it, right? It was like, all right, great. That's going to add probably two minutes to every song. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. You guys, I was curious because you keep talking about all these different home players you had on stage. How many? What is the the most band members you had at one point on stage? Like legit, like horn players, guitars, bass, drums. You said keyboards, like singer. Yeah, it was. 12 was a uh, was a normal thing for us you know at oh, certain shit. points in time we we had you know as little as one horn player and that if there was one it was usually me uh you know and if it was two it was eric and i usually uh but we've we've had up to six horns we've had two guitar players we had a drummer uh keyboard player you know we had at, at the, like our first show at Fantas, we had three singers we had we had Erica Brennan as a dancer. You know, we had this old song called The Mongoloid, which was like a surfing song. Uh, and so Erica would stand, uh, dance on the uh, on the homebrew box on the left side of of, uh, of of the stage. So you know, and, you know, it's yeah, twelve was a good number usually. And I can remember playing places where we always had to go. 
who gets on stage and who gets punched in the face by the crowd. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, there are shows we play too at like the sidebar where it's like, you know, it barely holds like four people with, with amps, you know, like places like yeah. that. And, and um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I think that's some of the. I've played, I played in ska bands before and after joining the Ratchet Boys, but nothing quite sums up the experience playing with the Ratchet Boys, playing with with everyone in that. You mean that one right there? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and Jason, and you know, Jason after after the Ratchet Boys, everyone in the band kind of went on to different musical projects and kind of shined. Like, you know, Jason and I worked on played in another band years later. But you also had yep. stuff with the favorites, and you had yeah, I did. Yeah, I did uh, the favorites for a while. I uh, played with Soft Sound System, and the, most of the guys that was the Litz Boys, and they're doing their own thing. Um, I moved to New Jersey for a short period of time. Played, I was, you know, my dream was to be a New York musician, and so I played with Andy G and the Roller Kings up in New York, and Andy oh, G and the Roller. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Andy G and the Roller Kings actually played at the Corner Kick. Before, uh, prior to this is after I left the band, but before I moved to New Jersey, and that's kind of how I got connected with them because I was like, all right, well, you know, I, I just had stopped teaching public school, I left the band, my life wasn't going, you know, the direction I thought it was going to, so to speak. So I'm like, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go to New York, you know, and you know, it lasted more than two weeks. Unlike Alex, sorry, Alex, um, <laughs> I was there for you know two plus years, and and. Uh, I had a great time. You know, I got to play some really cool places with uh, Andy G and the Roller Kings, and and there's a couple of uh, songs out there that I'm on. That if you if you look for Andy G and the Roller Kings, it's it, it's it's all there. You know, I, I got to do some really cool recordings. Uh, I got to meet some really cool people, and actually, um, let me see if I can. I mean, there's Andy G and I. Um, I, there's a picture of Steven Van Zant, you know, and me giving the thumbs up like this because we were the guests of, <laughs> of, of Bruce Springsteen, you know, for the 14 nights at Giant Stadium. Uh, and actually, there's the Giant, the Giant Stadium show right there, you know. So it's, you know, I there there there's Steven Van Zant and the Andy G and the Roller Kings crew. So you know, it's yeah yeah I, I think it, and Alex has had tons of success Bob you know you've done your things you know several times over I've done my several things several times over you know and the the funny thing is there's a couple really good people in the band that kind of just stopped you know they, they you know everybody you know we all we grew up to a certain extent but some of us still have that fire to play and you know and one of the things and, and Bob knows this I've been trying to get the guys together. It's like, hey, let's do one show, one show. Give me one show. Let's do this. Let's just, you know, let's let's pump, pump this album. Let's just just put put it together one more time, you know. And certain people don't want to, and I get it, you know, because Dan's not here. And, and yeah, Dan was kind of the you know the 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 fire in the bottle, so to speak, the the magic sauce, if you want to call it, but. You know, especially for me, because I, I left the band very abruptly, and you know, the sad part is for me that the the week that Dan died, uh, I was actually getting married that week, and so I, I missed the funeral, and you know, and so there's part of me that's just like, man, I I kind of I need to do this for closure, you know, I wanted to, and, and you know, when I was approached about. Yeah, can, you, you okay? Are you okay with this album? I'm like, heck yeah! I, I said, however, all the you know, like I think everybody's in agreement. I don't think anybody wanted to see any money out of this, so to speak. But everybody's like, we have to make sure it goes, you know, in Dan's name. So, yeah, no, there, 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 there will be no money out of. We're not even uh, keeping the cost of the pressing. <laughs> we're, we're donating 100 percent of everything from the album, so. It's going to be on the website for like 20 bucks with the option to donate more. But if someone pays $20, other than the cost of shipping, uh, everything from the actual cost of the album is being donated in Dan's name. I'm not keeping a damn cent. So, uh, sorry. Yeah, it's- Get a little reclaimed there. You know, I'm just I know. It's, it's- My wife and I have <laughs> seen him in the hospital and giving him DVDs of weeds because that's what you need when you're struggling. You need to watch this entire series of weeds. I have no idea what 
I knew we thought Dan would like it. Yeah, I mean, Dan, <laughs> Dan's, you know, and that's the sad part because, you know, at that point, Dan and I really worked on speaking terms, you know, and I knew he, I knew he wasn't doing well, and, you know, and then, at, you know, literally Wednesday morning, I'm getting up and getting ready to drive down to Florida to, to get married, and, uh, and like, oh, Dan passed away at the funeral Saturday. I was just like, I'm getting married Saturday. You know, it's like, you know, so... It is what it is, though. And, 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 but that's that's just an unfortunate nature of yep. people passing, right? I um, not not to take it away, like when I was in the overprivileged and I just started dating Marnie, I covered for the drums for cheerleaders of the apocalypse. If I remember them, and um, Doug, uh, you know, struggled with uh, Narcotics Anonymous most of his life, and he'd been totally sober. And then I went on tour to Europe, and I came back. I'm sorry. And right before we went on tour to Europe, I played a show covering for them, and he was obviously messed up on something. And all I did was curse him out for being like on shit and like messing things up. And why am I wasting my time when I'm about to leave to go on tour? And then I came back, and I literally got woken up from being, you know, my hangover being Doug passed away. And I felt like such a jackass because all I did was curse him out for it. But I. Just like you were unavailable and whatever your terms yeah. were, I know that Dan knows you loved him. Just like I know Doug knows that I loved him. It, 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 we, we can't, yeah, we can't hold on to those things that way. So my, yeah, you're good, dude. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't thank uh, Mike and Scott for getting this together and kind of like texting us uh texting everyone to kind of um do their parts to get this out so i know it was scott had the patience of a of a monk i think with, uh, oh well you know it, it, it's funny. It, it, it goes to the whole reason why like we uh, mike and i keep the covers looking like the vml covers not only because it's a nice homage to like records that i like but it prevents having to wait for artistic people to finish their shit and i'll get out <laughs> I don't it get out of yeah, the whole stuff, but like literally, I had the songs mastered and ready to go in uh, well August of last year. So this album could have already been out, you know, who knows how long ago. But Alex's artwork is so phenomenal, and he was such an integral not only as part of the band but also part of my experience in the D.C., Baltimore, Virginia area. I always say it's like the Ray Pettibone of, uh, of, of Baltimore and uh, just the work he did for such a low cost of flyers and t-shirts and album covers and in talking to him he still does that shit for punk bands now even though he's doing crazy ass shit for like the Atlantic and Newsweek and the Washington Post he's like yeah, yeah we'll do like a yeah, $20 you can... like, cover for a punk band no problem he, he did one of our uh, out, we have an album coming out soon um, our full length for Calling Dead he did what we have two different album covers we're doing and he did yeah. one of the two for free because he's just Alex yeah I mean that's Alex artwork right there, you know, for the Avocat yeah, Tones, yeah. you know, and and yeah, and, and, and a couple of other bands that I had, we did the same time. thing. So yeah, yeah, it's it, how how could you say no? And it wasn't like oh I'm uh, just not doing this, like oh I'm busy because every time I turn around, something's happening in the world and people are requesting me to draw amazing, fantastic shit. I'm like yeah, yeah that's fucking fucking Alex. <laughs> And Alex, Alex is one of the nicest people in the world I've ever met. So like, I cannot. Uh, oh yeah. I, you know, like, like I, I was talking. We, we had a, we had a, a minor celebrity uh, message our podcast this week, and uh, Alex had a really funny story about how he broke, how he broke an amp of his at a warehouse in Baltimore. And uh, but Alex was like, I'm okay with him though because uh, I've seen him before, and he's he's a really nice guy. And. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. But, but he's like one of those people, he doesn't hold up to a grudge, and I'll be like, man, if someone broke my guitar amp 20 years ago, I would probably still be pissed off about it. And he, the way he can let stuff go, the way he can let stuff go is amazing. I, I, I mean, I can tell you how many guitar amps of mine Alex broke, you know? So. <laughs> it all evens out, I guess. Yeah. Lush. But, uh, yeah, oh, before we go, too, Dave, I mean, like, after the Ratchet yeah. Boys, you did a lot of music stuff, too. Why, why don't you tell some people... I'm sure they know, but why don't you mention some of that as well? Yeah, Dave, tell people. <laughs> well, yeah, so, like, after, <laughs> so after <laughs> the Ratchet Boys, uh, you know, I joined a, a, a rock and roll band <laughs> called, the, called The Shakedowns, and we had some success. You know, we got to run all over the country um, for a few years. 
Uh, then I moved to Chicago. And I, I, you know, played in a bunch of bands in Chicago, and now I play in a band called The Safes. Um, me and, and, and a guy named Kurt from Baltimore that I'm sure everyone on this call knows, but maybe maybe Kurt. Kurt. You know, he plays yeah, in bands yeah, like The Ravagers and stuff like that. Me and him kind of split duty with the safes, uh, depending on where and when they need a they need a bass player. Uh, and I've had you know I've been gotten some really great uh, experiences there. Like we went to Spain a few years ago and did a did a couple of weeks, and uh, you know again been all up and down the U.S. with them. Um, you know to to bring it back to like Dan and the DC Scott scene though, like I, I have a whole spiel that'll go on sometimes about how. That DC area, and, and especially like the all ages aspect of the shows that was still still going strong through the early 2000s, is so, you know, it's so important to building like a scene that can stay viable year after year and like through generations, really. And uh, the first tour I went on with the Shakedowns, like I was just blown away that like other towns didn't have all ages shows. And on that tour, I was still 20, and me and me and the drummer Brian were, were both not 21, and there was like probably two-thirds of the shows where we had to just wait outside the venue until we were on stage so the band was on stage but otherwise we weren't allowed to be there and it and you know because most places don't have this like um you know space where it's, it's a bar or a music venue that anyone can go to and there can still be alcohol right most places they're 21 and up and that's it and it was just so i don't know it, so it, it, it was obvious that there wasn't the same sort of organic scene where people could be brought in by older older members that could mentor them and, and, and you know kind of get them help them meet other people and find their place you know and it was such a such a special thing in, in the DC area and, and you know for me personally through the DC ska scene and everything that I mean it's 25 years later and I still play music every day and I still play in bands every day and it's certainly not because it makes me rich. <laughs> Well, you, you notice Mike was rubbing his head, and it's like, because yeah. he's heard this spiel from me a thousand times over, like, now that I live in Florida, Mike, <laughs> when they say, what do you think of the Florida scene? Like, it's fine, except for a lack of a viable all-ages venue. It's like, I don't understand how this scene can continue to create when you don't have people like when I was 16 that could not only go to shows at the 930 Club, could go to shows places, and then go, oh, I can also play these places, so of course I'm going to form a band because they'll let me play versus making me stand outside. I mean, we they, we, we do venues here at Bulls Pub that will let underage bands play and they're out inside before they play, so it's not the same experience. But the number of actual all-ages venues, other than the ones that are just kind of like so like dive-barry that they just dump cards, but you can't advertise them as all-ages, you have to be in the know. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean... It's the paramount problem that I have with the Orlando and even and any part in Florida scene is that yeah. all ages creates a, a fuel of creativity that is why DC is so special. And, and, and like on, sec- playing off see- of that, you got you've got here in Orlando, like you saying, like if you're gonna go to some big major name touring band at House of Blues, Hard Rock, Janice Landing out in St. Pete, you can get in underage. But other than that, yeah, and that that, that, that completely cuts off the growth and continuation of the scenes. You're not having any of these kids coming in learning what it's like to actually be at live shows. How many times have you, like, all of a sudden somebody's like, oh, this is my first show. Like, how old are you? 23. Like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, how yeah, you didn't even know that this you, music existed? We just played a three-day, uh, two-day festival here in Orlando, and I had so many former students who are now forming bands that wanted to come out to the show. They're like, oh, it's 21 over. We can't come. And they're like, oh, they all would have yeah. been there. I mean, we brought in, like, 50 kids that would have showed up. And the funny thing is about, like, especially the corner kick is, you know, and and I don't know how many people know this part of the corner kick, but so I lived off of one street. Dan lived down the block up the hill a little bit, and then seven houses up the street, uh, down the street from him was the owner of the corner kick who also went to high school with me. And, and so literally it was just one of those things that we were there playing indoor soccer or goofing around or something like that. You know, and Dan's just like, man, this would be a great place for a show. And so that first iteration when we're on the field uh, was because he didn't want to clean up after us in the bar area. And then so someone got blitzed drunk. <laughs> I, and, I and love so that. The, had, field is, the field is sacrificial, you know, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the bar yeah, that you can hose down and, 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 yeah. and be done in 10 and, minutes is no, no, that's and, that's precious. Well, yeah, which I, I at that point I don't understand, but they were Brits, so whatever. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, you know, so that first that first go around, that kid get drunk, got plastered drunk, cops call that all that fun stuff, and so you know the the solution was to bring it upstairs, 
you know, like a year later, and like that's when it took off. Is when it got more intimate. You know, when when you could order, you know, <coughs> your hamburger and hot dog, and have donuts thrown at you at the same time. You know, so like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's those sort of all ages venues. Um, I uh, I found a place in Vienna, Virginia, the Virginia uh, Vienna Community Center, and I did eighteen and under shows. Those were phenomenal. I bought like bands from all over the country to play there. <coughs> And if you were over 18, you couldn't get in unless you were in one of the bands. What an amazing <laughs> it was. And I would do out, go out of my way to book high school bands. And then they would pack all their friends in there. And then I'd get like the prophets from Boston to come down and play this little teen center to like 150 teenagers where it was safe to be there because their parents were dropping out because they was 18 and under. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of the the, the, the magic, or part of the key is 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 bringing you know, <coughs> not segregating it as like a completely teen enclosed phenomenon, right? Where it's young kids playing playing for their other young kids, which is that's got its own like positivity and great thing to it, right? But like the key to building a, a scene that lasts is having this like you know intergenerational mix where like people who are like semi professional can do their thing and, and be a guidepost for people that are young and new and coming into it. You know, that's, that's what kind of keeps the momentum going year after year and, and, and yeah, you know, you, kind of like phase after phase. Yeah. You have to have something to aspire to. You have, you have to, the, that next level right. has to be obtainable, like, you know, like, yeah. Like the example from, of the corner kick. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. You know, we went out yeah, of the corner kick, like, you play and you know, like, I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. We're in a real band. And then, and then the slackers come on, and but they're you're, they're peers with you at that point, right? Even though yeah. like they're phenomenal, like they're also playing the same place that you're playing with the same crowd and dealing with everyone, and it's like, wow, that's you know, you you're there, right? And yeah, and uh, I think well, I think that speaks on the punk scene and the ska scene. Like that, the, there's always those connections of you can be a fan or you could be a musician in the in the in the blink of an eye and that's that's a cool thing that accessibility feature of the ska scene and punk scene you don't get that in rock you don't get that in a lot of other musical genres where you can just have that instant connection like you can't just go up and be a jazz musician <laughs> you know it doesn't work like that yeah. right you have to there's a certain level and a certain like prestige you have to have to be that musician but with the ska and punk stuff if you get your shit together I, I do want to call uh, Dave like you did not mention that you briefly uh <coughs> Play guitar in the twats, sir. <laughs> I did. You're right. You're right. Yeah. And uh, oh, how dare that you? That was a lot of fun. you <laughs> <laughs> any final words or comments from anyone? Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. It's it's uh, been great to reminisce. And Mr. Elliot, good to see you again, my friend. So yeah, man. Bop. So you know, um, I'm around. So <laughs> hey, if anybody least. wants to do a reunion. One song. It's all I want. Give me one song. <laughs> I, I, I would love you guys to a magical reunion show in the month of September. Although I'm beginning to think I only ordered a hundred, and considering how many ska members there are, and how many of you must have at least three friends that'll buy the album, I may have under uh, under pressed. But I can do another hundred if it sells out as quickly. I was gonna say, like, how many second pressing? Right? Then we can uh, yeah, really get the discounts crowd. Uh, Second pressing, maybe with like some uh, digital download coaches, some random like Phantasmagoria tape, uh, tape live albums. I I got it. I can transfer them to digital. So we, we, we can figure out some way to like do that as a magical add-on for the second pressing. There you go. Hell yeah. I'm all for it. I'm just, yeah, I I just want to say you know just thanks to Scott and Mike and Bob for making it happen, and I'm really like like I said at the beginning, I'm just so looking forward to holding the record in my hand and getting to sit down and listen to it and kind of go back. Uh, it's going to be real special for me personally. And, and I just, and, and I hope that like any new people that, uh, that pick up the record cause they're fans of DCPC and, and, and have a relationship with you guys are able to get something out of it. I mean, that would just be like gravy for me. Oh yeah, we're super excited about this. Everything that's going on, this the whole entire label. Like well, this started from booking shows. Pandemic happened. We did live streams and then decided to start putting it out. The growth that has happened from this is unbelievable. But the fact that we're doing things like Scott got the connection with you guys to do all of this for the benefit aspect of it is it means a lot. Like I, I was saying before we started recording, you know, we did something with the Mental Health Institute for Central Florida a while back uh, with the bands. Scott's got something coming up soon um, with his uh, 
because of his mother that died. This is something that means a lot to us being able to get involved in this kind of stuff. This one's called No Excuses. Come on. 